glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim Elmore, and I am the senior pastor at Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. And I'm Marshall Morden, the associate pastor at NBC. And you have been excited for this episode. I have. I have. Daniel is probably my favorite book of the Old Testament. So one thing that we love here is one-upsmanship. That's just a thing that we like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I got to say, you know what time I woke up this morning? So um, we talked about this last week. I'm not going to do it. So I read all the week's readings right before we podcast. So I get up early on recording days uh, just to keep everything contextualized and right there together. What time do you think I got up this morning? Five. I wish. What time did you get up this morning? I was awake at 3.30, laying what? there, staring at the ceiling. I can only believe that it's because I was so eager for this. <laughs> so maybe maybe I can one-up you on that. Yeah. No, eager I, to record the Daniel I was up at podcast. 6. I was up at mm. 6. Baby mm. was making noise and wanted to let Candace sleep for a little bit. Aw. Yeah. She does She does that more often for me than I do it for her, admittedly. So, <laughs> 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 so anyways, but... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I was already prepared to do this podcast yesterday, so maybe I one up you because I was a whole day in advance. Let's talk about Joel. <laughs> Before Joel. we get to Daniel, we got to do Joel. <laughs> okay, that's true. We got to get to Joel. Um, so the book of Joel, there's an interesting thing going on. Controversial in na- grasshoppers. In the nation of Israel, there's locusts. Three kinds. Apparently. Yeah, so one thing that we want to point out is... Biblical exegesis of Joel is not a discussion on various species of locusts. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's like biology of locusts 101. Yeah, because I, I've seen that done before. People are like, you know, it's, it probably means this kind of locust, and this is probably a this kind of locust, and they would have come in like, no, I, I, don't, think, I don't think it needs to be a, a lesson in entomology. Yeah. Uh, the point is, everything is gone. Yeah. All of their... So they had already been run out. Now all the food and drink are gone yeah. because of the locusts. Yeah. And um, and to the point that they can't even give their sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, the a plague of locusts can be so devastating. It's actually really interesting, too, because I, I recently picked up my great-grandfather's memoirs. And he grew up in rural Manitoba in a French-speaking community. And he was telling the story of when he was maybe seven or eight years old. And there was a plague of locusts. Like, it looked like there was a thunderstorm coming in. But his dad's like, no, no, we need to go home. And he said that for days afterwards, the, the bodies, the dead bodies of the locusts fell so heavily that he said they felt like snow plows walking down the paths, plowing through the dead bodies of these locusts that had come through. Wow. And all their chickens died because they ate too many of the grasshoppers and died. Wow. Yeah. That's a great story. It's pretty intense. So when I, when I, the first house I lived in in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, Mm -hmm. we had some cockroaches. Okay. Cucarachas. (laughs) Cucarachas. And so we, we talked the the school into paying for an exterminator to come in Mm -hmm. and spray the house. And uh, they did. And when we got home, we were sweeping them into dustpans 
And you know the sort of plastic shopping bag you get? Sure. Right? Five of those. Ugh. Filled to the point we could barely tie them shut. Ugh. Cockroaches. Man. I Not know. a plague of locusts. <laughs> Don't even know why I needed to share that there. It was a gross story about bugs. That's fair. All right. It's relevant. All right. Kind of. Thanks. Anyways. Anyways, the Bible. The Bible. So, yeah, so the devastation is so severe that the grain and wine offerings can't even be made. So the, the fields have been stripped so bare that Israel is prevented from even carrying out the, the types of sacrifices they've been called to do. Mm-hmm. But this isn't, this, this plague of locusts isn't, isn't random. No. Right? I mean, God, God identifies himself as the one who is sending out this army. Yes. Right? As he has been sending out armies throughout all of the prophets. That's true. To destroy Israel. Mm -hmm. And to strip them of their opportunity to worship. Yeah. And to live in the promised land. Yeah. And to remove the promise that the promised land was providing. Mm. Yeah, that abundance is is gone, is desolate. So the the backstory... To to that, <laughs> we were having a conversation before we started, and I, I'm not going to get too far into it. I'm not going to plant a flag. I'm not even going to say that I'm right on this. Uh, I think there's opportunity for the locust to not be actual locust, but to be a representation mm. of the the extent of destruction that the armies, Tyre, Sidon, Babylon, were going to bring into the land. Mm. Uh, also preventing them from worshiping. Sure. Uh, those who would, the remnant who would. Um, so, could be. Mm-hmm. Marshall says no. Yeah, I th- I so think- does every commentator that Marshall read this week. <laughs> I'm, I, I feel like the, it's literal locust. I think this is just an example of not only can God raise up human armies to do his mm-hmm. bidding, he can raise up armies out of the natural order of things sure. to do the same thing. And does, yeah. multiple times throughout Scripture. Yeah, Let the reader decide. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> in any case, though, in the midst of all this, God is calling his people to an attitude of repentance. Yes. Right? That they understand that this this destruction is coming because of what they've done. I mean, this is a similar motif <laughs> throughout all of the prophets that we have seen. Uh, but in Joel 2, God speaking to the people through the prophet Joel says, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Mm-hmm. Mm, that I highlighted that. Just because you can't perform the sacrifices of repentance mm. doesn't mean you can't repent. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I was thinking, too, um, when all the food's gone, you know, fasting. It's that much easier. It comes natural. <laughs> Is it still fasting if it's imposed upon you? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. That's a good question. Wouldn't that just, does that constitute fasting or is it just hungry? (laughs) It's providentially enforced fasting. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. But no, he says, yeah, return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to Mm -hmm. anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. So this is temporary. The purpose of this is for the people to turn back to God Mm -hmm. and the God who is merciful and gracious will relent eventually. Daniel. Mm, yeah. So D- Daniel, I was, I, I love the book of Daniel. Um, I find it very timely. I, f- I feel like it's just been, it's, it's universally relevant in the sense that we are 
the people of God living in a form of exile ever since the Garden of Eden. We've been in exile awaiting our return home and we live under, you know, rulers and empires who are set up by God, but not always, you know, ruling in such a way that God would be pleased with that. And so we see in, in Daniel and um, his compatriots, this picture of people uh, trying to live faithfully under pagan rule mm-hmm. and, and how to find that balance and how to toe that line. And what I, and as we'll get into this, you, you'll kind of see how, how these guys um, handle these difficult situations that are thrown at them. Right. Right. There's like, there's like, they're almost like tests, right? Faithfulness tests to see, you know, how, how true they're going to stay to God's will for their lives. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's an interesting thing to point out. Um, one thing that I think it, it might come in conflict with this mm-hmm. idea that, that there is something of the hermeneutical bridge that will take us from the message to a, a original audience mm-hmm. that is in exile uh, and say what part of this is universally true and can be applied in our circumstance today. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, of the, one of the things we have to come to in order to cross that bridge well is the idea that the U.S. and Canada are not the promised land. Mm. I would even argue they're not Christian nations. Right. And never really were. Right. So trace the accent. I grew up in the States. Mm-hmm. Arkansas. Yeah. Mm. Bible Belt. Mm. Mm. And, uh, and I remember uh, when I was a youth pastor down there, I, when I was much younger and much more confident in my wisdom, um, much more confident than I should have been right. in my wisdom. Yeah, uh, telling a, a senior in the church who was uh, making an application, um, you know that the United States is not Israel, right? <laughs> I stand by that. Yeah, probably could have said it differently. Mm. Um, but there was shock in the room. Mm. Um, I heard a pastor one time say. Uh, he was talking about materialism and people's love for money and said things like, did you know that whatever percentage of people polled would leave their country for a, whatever amount of money was being offered? As if they were saying, could Babylon pay you to leave the promised land? <laughs> um, but you know what? There's some of that in Canadian Anthem as sure. well sure um maybe not to the same degree but some of the same language mm-hmm. is is used from time to time just not nearly as strong yeah uh but coming to terms with the fact that uh we are people in exile in that we are the people of god not living unified together as the people of god but dispersed within the lost world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even if we're in the u.s and canada yeah. Yeah, for sure. No. And I, I think, and I think that's becoming increasingly clear sure. know, in, in recent years to some degree. Yeah. And, and, but, but that's where people feel like we're losing something. Yeah. I think what we're losing is the sentiment mm. and what we're gaining is clearer vision. Yeah. I think the facade right, is coming down. 
right? There's there's this facade in many Western nations of this like of this Christ this these Christian ideals and morals, and there is some foundational thing. I mean, Christianity has had a positive impact on the political world, um, without question, in my opinion. However, it it never was it, ne- it never was a truly Christian theocentric um, kingdom that we right. lived in, right? So, anyways, so getting into um, the the actual stories of Daniel, for very first chapter, we get the Daniel diet, mm-hmm. something I have familiarized myself with briefly uh, out of a fasting exercise for school, and it's uh, water and vegetables. It's, and and what? How did it go? Oh, it it went okay. It was tough. the The, the hardest part was actually no coffee because I just chose to just drink water. Yeah, and uh, and anyone who knows me well knows that I. I drink a lot of coffee. So when you say it was okay, you mean you still do it because you're fine with it and you're just like, no, hey, no. whatever, I'm I'm good with this. It was it was for it was for a time. Just like it was for Daniel and the sure. other guys. It was not a permanent arrangement. Um uh, and we know that mm-hmm. because Daniel refers to future times where he takes a time to fast for a few weeks or whatever. So yep. we know that he goes back to eating meat and drinking wine and all that good stuff. Um but yeah, God kind of providentially using that scenario and and the boys being faithful to their convictions they you know grow strong regardless of their meager diet and then Nebuchadnezzar has a dream he does yeah he has a really cool dream actually. and he's pretty passionate about figuring out what this thing means yeah oh yeah it's like not only do you have to tell me the interpretation of my dream but you have to tell me what my dream was in the first right. place. You're not gonna you're not gonna pull one over on me. And if you can't figure it out, I'm going to kill all of you. Right. Like all of the all of the wise people, all the of the Chal- Chaldeans, the astrologers, the you know, the magi, maybe or is there's a connection between the <laughs> ones the ones who come to visit Christ. I don't know. But anyways, all of these wise wise and learned men and they can't figure it out. And they're like, This is a ridiculous request. So let me ask you this. What kind of political structure is it to recognize people as wise mm-hmm. and learned mm-hmm. and to set them apart? You you are those that we recognize and constitute position so much so that you are wise and learned. Mm-hmm. And then to get rid of all of the wise and learned people in your administration. Yeah, it seems like a bad call. <laughs> seems like a bad political call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because then you're left, you're like, after you, after you sort of like sober up from that rage fit then you're like i got some questions i need some counsel (laughs) i got a tough math problem but everyone's gone (laughs) that's right yeah so anyways but thankfully when uh david is like well i serve a god that can give me wisdom give me understanding here let me go to him and see what he has to say and Mm -hmm. he receives the understanding of the vision right and it's the the statue with four different kind of layers to it. Right. And he presents it so humbly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, so you figured it out? And he's like, no, no one could figure that out. It's mm-hmm. a ridiculous question. Mm-hmm. But God told me. Yeah. So he, he doesn't claim it as sort of like, check me out. I'm the prophet and the connection with God. Mm-hmm. He's just like, he. it's almost like, hey, I cheated on this test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't I don't know the information. Mm-hmm. It was given to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he just essentially explains to Nebuchadnezzar the next couple hundred years mm-hmm. of Middle Eastern history. 
right? Yeah. It, like he, he literally just lays it out. Yeah, these are there are different empires. Your empire is the gold one. There's another. There's other empires that are gonna gonna come after. And but then in the time of that last empire, there's gonna be a rock that is cut from a mountain without hands, and it's just gonna blow everything up, and it's gonna create a mountain that all people will come to. And the Sunday school answer for what that rock is, folks, is Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and, and here's the thing, this kind of pattern, like the Daniel kind of prophesying about or, or interpreting visions and dreams that lay out what is going to happen over that section of history, kind of from where they're at to the coming of Christ is the majority of what we see in Daniel. It's, it's a lot of right. it anyways. So we yeah. see that kind of repeated. Um, yeah, so so not every not every prophecy in Daniel is a new set of historical happenings. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes it's just sort of recapping or saying it again in a new way. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the book of Revelation kind of works like that too in certain areas, yep. right? It's kind of like that's that's uh apocalyptic literature. That's that's how it works. We have dreams in Genesis that do that. Yeah. They have the overlapping, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no you're right. Uh Daniel 3, the statue Ooh, in the fiery furnace. The bunny, the bunny. <laughs> I love it. I, I was literally thinking about that VeggieTales movie the whole time I was reading through it. Nebuchadnezzar. Um, were, you, were, you, <laughs> were you replaying the movie with your theologian hat on, just going, mm-hmm, mm. check, check, oh, X. <laughs> oh, nope, nope. X, check. <laughs> yeah, so in any case, I what I, what I love most about this scene is... Just the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when he's like, look, if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in the statue. And they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Hold on. I want to I want to okay. point something interject. out here. Yeah. Yeah. All throughout the book, every time someone talks to Nebuchadnezzar, mm. it's, oh, king, live mm. forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't think are being disrespectful. Mm-hmm. They're not using titles. Not here, no. Everywhere else it's used. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any reason to answer you here. Mm-hmm. Not even, I'm not even playing games with you. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to make it up. This is, this is, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And you just need to know that. Mm-hmm. That's bold. Yeah. And their faith is that our God can deliver us from this fire. Even to go so far as to say will. Yeah, will, actually will. Yeah, you're right. Will, will save us. But if he doesn't. We're still not going to bow down. Boom. That's faith. I love it. Faith in the hand of God, but also faith in the plan of God mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in the goodness of God. Yeah. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar kind of responds. We see this interesting thing with with Nebuchadnezzar, this, this interesting journey he's on, because there are times where he just breaks out into praise yep. over the God of Israel. Right, just acknowledging him. Right, um, opening of Daniel four. I'll just read a couple of verses. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the God, or the Most High God, has done for me. How great are His signs! How mighty His wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Like that sounds like the Book of Psalms. Yeah, coming from the King of Babylon's mouth. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. Um, and he has another dream about a great big tree. Yep. 
and uh, wants to know what it means. Wants to know what it means, and Daniel's like, "Hey, uh, good news, bad news." Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> so, so last time it wasn't. It was vicious. The punishment. Mm-hmm. You'd be killed. This mm-hmm. time it's very creative. Mm. I'm gonna kick a post out from your house, <laughs> and that lot yeah. is gonna become the dunghill. <laughs> He had to think about that one. Yeah, he was creative in his viciousness. <laughs> yeah, and so essentially, it's the the idea is that like this great tree is this great kingdom that God has placed Nebuchadnezzar at the top of, but mm-hmm. just like the statue, but it's going to his head. Yep, and it's going to get chopped down because it's gone to his head, right? And 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 Daniel warns him. He's like, look, a year from now. You're gonna go. You're gonna go crazy. You're gonna go. You're gonna go live in the field, like a wild animal. Mm-hmm. You're gonna fall from your your position. And you'd think that something that significant would stick with you, right? But a year later, he's walking around on the walls. Yeah, having his uh, little morning coffee. Sure, and thinking, "Wow, look I'm, what I did. I'm so good." And you know, his history suggests. That, uh, or archaeology actually, so mm. remnant, uh, that even built into the walls, the bricks were written on with things like built by Nebuchadnezzar, mm. the power of his hand. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he goes crazy. I mean, I don't know what the psychological diagnosis for for his situation would be but psychologically and physically yeah yeah he's just living like a wild he turns man. yeah and then he writes a little praise chorus mm. yeah a little worship song once he once he comes to yeah which is really cool again like it's just like he comes to and he lifts his eyes to heaven and he praises the lord and it's just like yeah and this is a pagan king and none can say none can stay his hand mm or say to him, what have you done? Mm. Mm-hmm. No questions for God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there seems to be this sort of progressive journey for Nebuchadnezzar yeah. recognizing. And interestingly enough, although it has been prophesied that Babylon was going to be destroyed by an invading army mm-hmm. for the way that they were the tool in the hand of God, Mm-hmm. but did it to their own glory. It doesn't happen to Nebuchadnezzar. No. So Nebuchadnezzar has this very interesting progress of relationship with God. And this king, he dies and the kingdom goes to his son. Yeah. And he likes to throw parties. He does. And he likes to use these. That was my fault. Glitch. <laughs> Yeah, so we get the handwriting on the wall scene. Yes. So uh, and and uh, no one knows what to do about it. And the queen mother is like, "Oh, actually, there's this guy who's really smart named Daniel, who used to help us out all the time." Yeah, I don't know where he's hanging out, but bring him in. And uh, it's very much a, a, a not good news for for the young king. Yeah, he right? says, "Ooh, I wish I had something better to tell you." <laughs> Sorry, but. Yeah, and it's just like, you've been weighed and measured, you've been found wanting, and your kingdom will be divided. And later that night. Yeah, that very night, they, uh, the Persians 
conquer, right? Right. And so there's this regime change, right? And then we've got the Persian king and the lion's den. And constantly, like, Daniel is just constantly being faced with these dilemmas, right? He mm-hmm. he's, he's a servant in the kingdom. He is given a significant amount of authority, and he always shows you know, those like his superiors, the the proper respect and dignity and honor, but he also knows where to draw the line. Right. And he says, no, I'm not going to stop praying to God just because some law has been passed. Right. Right. There's a point where, you know, obeying the government authorities, you can only take that. So it's only reasonable to a point. Right. And he's like, I'm not going to sacrifice, you know, my relationship with the Lord over, over this law. And he's rescued mm-hmm. once again. Yeah. But those who uh, try to get him in there, no bueno. No, no. The lions, the lions get him. <laughs> so, so there's that first part. There's yeah. the Sunday school part of Daniel. Yeah, that's the part. So that far, we've made knows. our way through the Sunday school Daniel. Mm-hmm. Veggie Tales Daniel. Now we have prophecy Daniel. Mm-hmm. In an entirely different realm. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Okay. We get we have beasts. 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 Horns. No horns. Horns with horns. Yeah. Horns with little horns on top of them. In the midst. In the midst of them. Yeah. So a lot of ink has been spilled over the final chapters of Daniel. Right. Right. As far as what is this talking about? What what is going on here with these various beasts and, and different things? Um, there was a book that someone got from me one time called The Daniel Code Ooh. of how to crack the code of Daniel. Right. How to understand what it's talking about in our current political system because all things Bible prophecy have to do with right here and now because we have this kind of generational... Um, egocentricism. <laughs> yeah, it must be now is definitely the most important. Yeah, thing. And, and this is this is what I would say to to most of that in general. God is not a god of confusion. Mm-hmm. I didn't make that up. He mm-hmm. did. Yeah, but at the same time, we believe in these deep codes mm. and these secret things that are going to happen. And if we don't crack the code, we're all in trouble. Yeah, um, as if you have been saved by grace through faith. Mm. And it is a gift of God and not of your works. Mm. But if you don't crack the code, yeah. I'm gonna take the gift away. Yeah. They slip that chip into the vaccine, Tim. Right. And so this is <laughs> this is like like this isn't just conspiracy theory problem. Right, yes. Right? Yeah. Like we've been we've been taught this eschatological position for so long that we just assume it's always been here and that it's biblically true. Mm. Uh, but things like like I grew up with the idea that you can accidentally take the mark of the beast and yeah. not know it. Yeah. And you're in trouble. Mm. You're no longer right before God. Mm-hmm. So we've got to crack the code and figure out what the mark of the beast is. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point uh, barcode. Oh, okay. Right. So if you get a, the government's going to give you a barcode tattoo, mm. and if you take that, then, mm. then your salvation is forfeit, which makes no soteriological sense. Oh yeah. In the doctrine of salvation, we would never tell people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ mm. and figure out who the Antichrist is, mm-hmm. and you'll be saved. Mm. Um, but we still live in this fear that these these codes have to be cracked and figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first thing I would say is. Be careful of that kind of teaching. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into 
I do want to get into dropping names right now, but I'm not <laughs> going to. Be careful of that kind of teaching because it just doesn't harmonize with what we know to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is people speak definitively, yet every time a major world event happens, they reconstruct their entire thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're like, I wrote this book 10 years ago, and then there was Brexit or COVID mm. or murder hornets. Yeah. And now all of a sudden I've got to rewrite my whole eschatology because this has to fit in. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And and so why you why were you speaking so definitively before if now you're willing to change that? Yeah. If it is the word of the Lord, it would stand. Yeah. Um, so that's another, another pause that I would say ne- you need to put on this. Mm-hmm. The other one would say, I would say is exactly what you said. Why is it all about our generation? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this isn't just us for, for the couple hundred years that this eschatology has been taught. It's always been, oh, this is about us. Mm-hmm. This is about us. Yeah. And it just keeps sort of getting pushed down. And every time a new official is elected, mm. we figure out how that person fits. Yeah. And it's really... It's a distraction. It's a distraction. It's a distraction, people. Yeah. And and it and could be faithlessness. Mm. If we are going to say, I'm so worried about this... Mm that I need to live inside and not by faith. Yeah. I have to figure this out because what if I don't? Yeah. Then what? Well, God is still in control. Yeah. (laughs) And God already knows. Yeah. And so why would we assume, like in all of the scripture that we've read, God is so explicit Mm -hmm. in how he speaks to his people. Scripture is him revealing himself, Mm -hmm. not hiding himself. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. And I think in the case of Daniel, a lot of what is in the back half are things that occur, again, between the exile and the coming of Christ. Yeah, I, I would say most of most of Daniel is over. Yeah. Like, I mean, you've got things that are, are quite clearly um, Alexander the Great, the kingdom of the West, conquering the kingdom of the East, it being divided into four, four and, and, and not being divided among his children. They're divided amongst his generals, and then there's infighting between those mm-hmm. those dynasties, and this is all kind of the intertestamental period. Right. But if you if you match up kind of the historical timeline of the the Middle East, you know, from 500 to you know 50 BC, you just you can you can literally just see how these things line up. Right. So I mean, the code has already been cracked because most of what we're talking about has already happened, and pretty well explained even even within Daniel. Oh yeah, like it's not yeah. it's not it may have been a bit more mysterious at the time, but mm. it's really not all that mysterious now. And then the mountain drops, mm-hmm. Christ. Yep, the Son of Man mm-hmm. who comes, um, and that is the culmination of Daniel's prophecies. Mm-hmm. In the visions and things like that, mm-hmm. right? He comes to set up a kingdom, mm-hmm. not of this world, one that would transcend into eternity, mm-hmm. an everlasting kingdom, mm. millennia's yeah. worth of kingdom. Yep. <laughs> one would say transcending a millennium, <laughs> maybe even an all millennium. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's all these things that we can people really wrestle with, right? Like, uh, right, at, right towards the end, we have all this stuff about the weeks, seventy mm-hmm. weeks, 
right? The word for week in in Hebrew is seven, so seventy sevens, right? Right, and so there's this whole thing is like a lot of people pointing to a specific number of years. This is four hundred ninety years. That's the literal reading of it. Well, the literal reading might also be four hundred ninety days, mm-hmm. theoretically, or it could be that seventy times seven might be a number of certain significance. New Testament significance. Maybe Jesus himself uses this whole 70 times 7 thing when explaining how many times we're to forgive someone, mm-hmm. right? As as much as is necessary. Right. Right? So so how much time is going to go on between these things and, and when they're fulfilled? As much time as God finds necessary. Right. Right? And the significance of 7 and 10 and all of these things and 70, like these are just biblical ideas. And so we don't have to whip out the calculators and start doing math and adding up and subtracting years and what counts and what doesn't. This is just God saying, this will be fulfilled in time. It's going to be a long time. Mm-hmm. And be patient. Yeah, and I think people are going to argue like, well, Marshall very clearly says this is about the end. Right. But you have to ask the, the end of what? Mm. The end of the exile? The end of the old covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it says these are things about the end, doesn't mean it's our end. Right. right. Yeah. 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 And we have to be. And and again, all of this just points to Christ, right? We have to understand that the whole, all of Scripture points to the person and the ministry and the work of Christ. And so he is at the center, and he ought to be at the center of any kind of eschatological system that we're working with. Right. Right. So we just be be careful again not to get super caught up in you know where we're at in the weeks for example or or whether or not there's still some weeks to go or or, or all of those things because again they can just become such a distraction. So yeah. we've yeah anyways you done? I mean I think so. That's a I mean there's 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 so much you want to stop there. it you want to stop at Daniel twelve? I thought we were going to do the whole thing. Well we yeah the, yeah the Daniel twelve is. Concludes with the hope for the resurrection. What about 13 and 14? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you grew up Catholic. Oh, I... Steal your friend's Catholic Bible, <laughs> and there's a chapter 13 and 14. I did not prep for that. What do you have for Su- Suzanne's Virtue. Okay. And uh, Bell and the Dragon. Oh, I've heard of Bell and the Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them are quite obviously... Greek, okay. In the way that they're set. so, if you've if you did if if you actually did your Greek mythology readings in high school, mm-hmm. you'll recognize both of the way these stories come together. Okay, uh, that they're very Greek, so they're way late. Okay, and injected in. Okay, um, <laughs> not only is that true, but you need the Septuagint for them to even make sense. Because particularly in Suzanne's Virtue, I think it's Suzanne, but Mm. in Suzanne's Virtue, the whole thing comes together on a pun, a play on words. (laughs) And the word doesn't work in Hebrew, but it works in Greek. Oh, man. So, so yeah, so we, they've not been received into the canon, obvious late entries. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Catholic Bible still has them. Interesting. They're an interesting read. Uh, you read them, and they don't sound like anything, Daniel. They sound, <laughs> they sound like a Greek fairy tale, yeah, uh, kind of a thing. Uh, but yeah, 
I just thought I'd throw you on, That's under the bus, put That's you on great. the spot. No, I just I remember uh, religion class at Catholic school. The fact that I could find books of the Bible without checking the index it was like a party trick to impress <laughs> to impress my religion teacher, who was tasked with teaching the Bible, but right. didn't know where the books were. <laughs> Catholic school, yay! Anyways, highlights highlights for me. Um, there's a bit in Daniel nine where he prays this prayer of repentance. He sees that the, 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 the time of the exile is coming to an end, the return to the promised land is imminent, and he understands that the prerequisite for that return is this, is this repentant attitude. And so he actually prays a prayer of repentance for himself, but also for Israel. And he, he recognizes um, what they deserve and what God deserves. And he says, uh, Daniel 9, 8 and 9, To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Mm. And just the idea of like, not just repenting for yourself, but kind of collectively is kind of a weird idea. Yeah. Um, but but I, necessary. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think when I, when I close a sermon in prayer, mm. I personally repent. Mm-hmm. And then I call the church into that repentance to corporate change. repentance yeah so for me i wouldn't say it's necessarily a highlight that would be the wrong word that's like when someone posts something on back when back when facebook only gave you the thumbs up right <laughs> and someone posts something significant you wanted to acknowledge it but thumbs up just felt wrong that's kind of what this feels like right okay. um so i don't know if i'd call it a highlight but a significant standout thing in exile literature so we see it in daniel mm-hmm uh, we're going to see it in Nehemiah mm-hmm. and in Esther. The absence of the name of the Lord, mm. the word Lord in all capital letters representing Yahweh, the name of the Lord, mm-hmm. and the absence of the discussion of the covenant. Mm. The Israelites as God's covenant people is striking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just want to point that out before the listeners crack these books open because so far everything has been all caps lord mm-hmm. yahweh mm-hmm. it it nearly disappears in exile literature interesting all based on the fact that we are god's covenant people not we but israel mm-hmm. god's covenant people well we are too but that's another thing sure <laughs> all of that missing hmm. in their discussion yeah um tough it's tough yeah, reading for sure thanks for listening this podcast is a resource of memorial baptist church in stratford ontario in cooperation with the gospel coalition of canada and is produced by alex walker i'm gonna go take a nap in my office <laughs> see you later everybody <laughs>